Money FM 89.3, the best of your money. Money and me on your money, only on Money FM 89.3. Maybe you're an investor looking at this challenging macroeconomic environment thinking, what is going to give me the best yield? Because I want to supplement my income. Well, my guest today has got a really unique perspective on stocks and bonds. In fact, many rely on his watch list to build their positions specifically for dividends. So today we ask, are some in Singapore looking away from S-REITs and more towards bonds, uh, the pace of interest rate hikes, expected to become more measured. But if you look at the debt of the majority of S REITs, a lot of them on fixed rates. And so there's the expectation that REITs are going to have to refinance their loans in future that will expire at higher rates. And uh, there are worries about what this could mean for the amount of costs of debt that REITs have to then take on. Uh, we're also going to be looking at making sense of investing in bonds. If we have an inverted yield curve, does it make sense to invest in bonds, a uh, fund ma- made up mainly of longer dated 30-year bonds for stable income? How does one differentiate between bond offerings in today's context? Friend of the show, DT or Dividend Titan joins us live today. DT, good morning. Hey, good morning, MM. Always so good to come onto the show again. <laughs> He's also known as <laughs> Willie King, by the way, listeners. Great to speak with you, Willie. Uh, share with us uh, your current take on the S-REIT environment. Mm. Um, I mean, the current situation right now for Singapore doesn't really look so good. I mean, if you see from the past year, it's down almost about 12%. And this really comes at the back of a very aggressive uh, interest rate hike last year by central bank, especially the Federal Reserve. And we are also looking at how um, the Federal Reserve is also looking to continue to push um, interest rates slightly higher as well. So it doesn't really look too good for REITs. So you have um, foreign asset REITs like U.S. office REITs, like what I've mentioned earlier, Michelle. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of these REITs, their debt are uh, slightly going higher as a result of lower property valuation, um, higher interest costs, and the need to actually refinance more debt in order to sustain their business, their business model. So some of the U.S. office REITs are sort of you know, getting sort of struggling in that sense here. Yeah, in fact, one of our guests earlier this week pointed to that sector specifically as maybe one to look at for an opportunity because of what the prices and valuations are looking like now. What do you think? Mm, yeah, so I think for Singapore REITs, you really have to see the fundamentals at the end of the day because when we're looking at some of these, uh, you know, what you call buying when things are way at the bottom at mm. bargain prices, we mm. not only have to understand that some of these REITs, fundamentally, you know, they might have some struggle because many of these REITs, they might be, uh, they were unprepared for the, the surprise in this huge interest rate hike. So a lot right. of them, when they refinance uh, this year, they mm. have to refinance at a much higher interest cost. That's why when we're looking at some of these REITs investing in foreign assets, for example, yeah. many of them, they actually have to pay a much higher interest cost in order to maintain some of these properties. And as a result, you would notice that many of these REITs, they might be forced to sell down some of their properties. I would I had a call, you know, a couple of weeks back mm. with one of the REIT management and they were saying that in certain parts of the UK, they are actually looking to sell down some of their commercial properties as a result of vacating tenants. 
So this actually caused uh, property valuation to drop. That's one. And another thing, they might not be able to get the tenants which they need to lock in the kind of uh, yield or rental income. So having said that, I think that sort of sums up the risk here. But mm. on the other hand, of course, you also have you know uh, good opportunities out there where you are looking at high-quality properties which might have vacating tenants. Yes. But at the same time, some of these market rent are actually underpriced. So when they lock in new tenants going forward, they might be actually might be able to readjust some of this rent at a higher rate. So I think there are opportunities out there, but it really, it really depends on how, as investors like myself, mm-hmm. uh, we actually look at it with sort of an eagle eye here. Yeah. Uh, what do you make of the overall argument of the article in the Business Times? Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll just read out the headline for our listeners. S-REITs losing appeal. Average yield of 6%. Not good enough. Uh, are you, what, you? What is your sense on the ground? Are people really looking away from S-REITs in spite of this 6%? Just because it falls below the expected yield of over 7% and looking ahead at what the headwinds could be for S-REITs? Yeah, I think that's a very good point, Michelle. And I think this is a very good article because for S-REITs, for the longest time, a lot of people are talking about how they are comparing the dividend yield of some of these Singapore REITs to the 10-year Singapore government uh, bond yield. Because what they're actually trying to say here is that, hey, if the government bond yield is right now about 3% or slightly lower than 3%, I must be expecting a much higher dividend yield on my Singapore REIT. Otherwise, there's no point buying some of these REITs because they carry slightly higher risk and I would better put my money in some of these safer government bond yields. So that is essentially what the article is trying to say. But what's interesting here is that even though they state that they do argue that you need to expect at least a 7% yield on this Singapore REIT. But at the end of the day, Michelle, you know, I've been coming on a show and I've been talking about Singapore REITs that not all REITs are created equal. Right. Right. There are some Singapore REITs which might be yielding much higher than 7%. Some might be yielding lower than 7% here. So those which are yielding lower than 7%, usually they, they tend to carry what I call a safety mechanism, meaning that they have very high quality properties, under their portfolio, which allows them to be able to weather some of these interest rates, uh, these interest rates increase. And as a result, yeah, you might be slightly lower. And also for investors, it's important to understand what sort of uh, yield or returns they, they would require. Doesn't mean that the interest, the government bond yield goes up, the yield you require on the Singapore REITs must go up at, a, at an equal amount because some of these Singaporeans do carry some quality assets, which are considered just as safe, you know, uh, if you want to hold it for your portfolio. I remember that was in our first show together when you talked extensively about why S-REITs are not all equal. I still remember that. Very memorable. Now, listen, <laughs> as inflation uh, is expected to take longer than expected to moderate, uh, and people saying the possibility of rate cuts happening this year looks really, really slim, mm. how much of uh, this is, do you think is going to be a consideration for the operating expenses, the borrowing costs, and the overall performance of S-REITs this year? Mm. Yep. So this could actually weigh in on some of these Singapore REITs. So number one, interest cost is definitely a big factor. You see some of these Singapore REITs, on average Singapore REITs, they have roughly about 2.5% borrowing cost, which is usually okay because they usually have a much higher uh, rental income to make up or cover some of these interest costs. But as some of these Singapore REITs, when they start to refinance, 
uh, this year at a much higher interest cost, what's going to happen is that some of these REITs, they are going to experience a slightly higher interest cost on their debt. So that's one thing to look out for. But of course, we also want to understand whether that these Singapore REITs, they are able to actually protect their interest costs by hedging. So hedging means uh, buying all contracts, for example, to lock in the interest rate. Another thing which I will also look out for for mm-hmm. Singapore REITs is basically uh, whether they have debt which are maturing this year. So many of the high-quality Singapore REITs, what they typically do is they try to borrow as long as possible, meaning that they try to extend out what I call the maturity date of their debt such that even though interest rates are going to you know, stay elevated or stay high over this one or two years, they do not have or have very little debt which are maturing. So this is a good thing because even if interest rates go up, they don't have any debts to actually refinance themselves. So you have on one hand REITs uh, where they might actually have some of these debt which are being refinanced this year. So mm-hmm. that could actually cause some risk. But you also have other REITs where they don't have um, much debt or much borrowings uh, to refinance over this, you know, say six, uh, 12 months to 18 months here. Now, in this article in the Business Times, it was written that with the growing attractiveness of fixed income, many investors may wish to consider bond funds. And some mentioned was a Nico AM Shenton short-term bond fund, 5.2% yield, Lion Global short-duration bond, 5.8% for that one. What are your thoughts on bond funds as an alternative? Mm. I think a lot of readers have also asked me, Michelle, on, you know, the alternative of Singapore REITs to bond funds. And like what you have alluded to, um, the risk of Singapore REITs. Yeah, so why not go into bond funds, right? Mm. So the, the breakdown between bond funds is this. Uh, bond funds are typically good because they are very well diversified, like what you have mentioned, um, the Nico Shenton um, uh, bond fund, where they invest you know, in a couple of uh, wide variety of bonds or stocks. And this typically helps to hedge out or protect the risk and one thing which is good about bond funds is that they tend to pay a much more regular payout. So instead of you know, a semi-annual payout, some of these funds, they actually can pay a monthly payout or even a quarterly payout, which you might not get you know, from dividend stocks where they tend to pay at semi-annual or on the yearly payout. So that's the, really the good thing about bonds. You don't really have, about bond funds, you don't really have to, 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 to pay attention to analyzing a single company or single bond and subject yourself to that single risk. Now, the problem comes for bond funds is the difference here in buying that one particular bond. So let's say I might be putting $10,000 in a bond which matures in five years. So I do not bother whether interest rates would continue to go up or go down because at the end of five years, I know that I'll get back that $10,000 as long as the bond doesn't default. So I assume that you know, I'm buying into a very high quality bond with very, very little default risk. Mm-hmm. Now, putting $10,000 into a bond fund instead, you don't get that kind of luxury. You don't get that kind of benefit because a bond fund doesn't have that specific maturity date because you're buying into hundreds, hundreds of bonds within that fund itself. So if interest rates continue to go up, what's going to happen is that this bond fund might continue, continue to suffer permanent losses or capital losses on these funds, which was what happened you know, over the last 12 to 18 months as interest rates go up. So that's where the risk comes because you wouldn't know when you'll be getting back your money. The only time you get back your money is when you sell these bond funds. But because you don't have that maturity, you might end up selling at a loss. So that's 
the cons here of um, investing into a bond fund. Now, where I want to actually pay attention in looking at some of these bond funds, number one, I want to understand what are the underlying bonds involved. So the quality of these bonds here. So I want to be looking at the credit rating, mm-hmm. uh, whether I'm investing, whether the bond fund is investing into high yield or junk bonds or high quality bonds here. So you're talking about your triple B, your double A, your triple A bonds, in fact. Right, so this helps to protect you from any default risk. Now the, the yeah, the, please go the, ahead. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, the other thing, of course, is the 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 tenure of the bond, like what you've mentioned, very long term maturity bonds here. So if a bond fund invests into say twenty year bonds or thirty year bonds, now the risk comes when interest rates continue to go up or. You know, like what you mentioned earlier at the start of the show, that right now with an inverted yield curve, where the yield on the long-term bonds are really low now, if this inverted yield curve starts to normalize, which means that if the long-term yield starts to go up here, many of these bond funds which owns uh, or buys into 30-year bonds would suffer losses because interest rates go up, bond prices drop. Absolutely fantastic analysis. Now, this is maybe a question that's on a lot of retail investors' minds, but they haven't had anybody to be able to ask, so we'll ask on their behalf. Everybody remembers uh, the 81 bond debacle of Credit Suisse that threatened to (laughs) (laughs) derail the market, really. Now, is there any worries about any of these bonds being in in some of these bond funds that investors in Singapore may have access to? Or are 81s really the domain of private investors? Mm, that's a very, very good question, Michelle. So there are unit trusts which buys into some of these uh, 81 bonds or what um, the industry likes to call it cocoa bonds. Mm. So typically when you want to see uh, some of these um, fact sheets of these unit trusts, you want to pay attention to um, the fact sheet, whether they actually buy into these funds. Uh, usually it's written clearly that they invest, these funds invest into some of these cocoa bonds. Cocoa, um, okay. as, long, as long as you see the term COCO or 81, then you might want to be careful investing in some of these funds because they could get potentially written off uh, like what we see with the Credit Suisse 81 bond. So that's one thing which we have to look out for. Um, but other than that, most of many of the bond funds out there, they generally invest in very plain vanilla uh, or what I call straight bonds. Mm-hmm. So bonds which do not have this kind of very complex mechanisms or terms. So bonds, they simply invest you know, where you put in, uh, say, $10,000 or where the fund puts in $10,000 to buy a bond. And then at the end of five years, 10 years, they get the money back and the fund manager reinvests itself. So uh, that's one you have to look out for. Where I'll pay attention to are the credit ratings. Okay. That shows the quality of the bonds which this, uh, some of these funds invest in. So that's where I will actually pay attention to. Fantastic. Just yesterday, we were talking to uh, an expert wine investor, talking about how some portfolios have managed to outperform the S&P 500, outperform Bitcoin, not that hard that doing that. <laughs> but um, and, and he was th- pretty much throwing water on the 60-40 portfolio then, uh, and that water turned to wine, of course. But how much should we be allocating to bond funds in today's environment? Great question. Again, great question, Michelle. So with regards to the 60-40 fund portfolio and also to the bond fund itself, I think it all really depends on 
your your risk appetite, your risk tolerance, and also you know sort of uh, immediate income which you need. Because say for example, bond funds are really suitable for people who want immediate income. That means they want to see a monthly regular payout every single month or at least a at least every quarter, and they wouldn't really too mind too much about the volatility or the price risk of these bonds because some of these bond funds because they have so many bonds in the fund itself. Yeah. You typically don't get that direct, that immediate maturity date. So you wouldn't know when a bond would mature and you'll get that money back because you only get the money back after you redeem or you sell this bond fund. Which means that these bond funds, they function a lot like stocks. These are still subjected to the price fluctuations. And it could be even more accentuated because of interest rates because bonds are very sensitive to interest rates here. So while people look at, look to alternatives, you know, the, uh, with regards to a 60-40 bond portfolio, the 40% could be invested in bond funds, but it could have the risk of a stock, right? Because they have that kind of volatility here. So at the end of the day, I will still look at bond funds, but I'll be more careful with the funds, whether they are investing in longer-term bonds, you know, 20, 30 years, or high-quality bonds here, uh, whether if it's a high-yield bond or a high-grade bond. Okay. So given the portfolio as a whole, can you share with us what stocks you're watching or the opportunities or risks that you're seeing in the market today? Mm. So, you know, since we are in, you know, since we're still talking about income, we're still talking about Singapore REITs, I still like Singapore REITs here. And okay. despite the article talking about, you know, you need to have at least 7%, where I'm, I'm looking at is more for the fundamentals and the quality here. So while a lot of analysts are talking about uh, the reopening of the economy, uh, they're talking about retail, they're talking about hospitality. I'm actually looking at something where not a lot of people are actually talking about, which are data center REITs. Ah. So data center REITs have been actually which have actually came down, you know, 20 to 30% uh, since two years ago. And some of our data center Singapore REITs are actually quite attractive here. So we are talking about your Capital DC REIT, um, your Maple Tree Industrial, which owns data centers in the US. Uh, you're talking about your digital core REIT. And the thing about data centers is that, you know, there are, of course, more and more people doing things online. They are creating and consuming more data. And this data need a physical place to be stored and managed, right? Servers, computers, equipment to analyze. And what's interesting here, Michelle, is that according to a report, right now there are over 64 zettabytes of data in the world. So that's 64 billion terabytes. And it's already 32 times more than it was just, you know, a decade ago. Wow. And this kind of volume will continue to grow exponentially because we are consuming so much data now. Yeah. There needs to be a space to store uh, all this data. And where do we store data? It's in data centers. And I think right now with, you know, high interest rates, people are, you know, talking about how Singaporeans are pretty shaky here. Mm -hmm. I'm actually going to some of these data center reads myself. So interesting. I want to be at the intersection of what (laughs) is going to be the lifeblood that powers economies of the future, right? Data and space. Any interest at all in hospitality or you're not jumping on that bandwagon? Yeah, of course. I mean, both retail and hospitality are something to actually look at, uh, to look out for. So you have some of our big blue chips, which invest not only in student accommodation, in your hospitality, your service apartments and your hotels. I think these are interesting reads to be looked out for. One thing which I'll be paying attention to are the distribution, because as the economy opens up, as they are actually increasing the rent, 
I want to first find out, you know, some of these hospitality REITs, whether they are able to actually resume the kind of rent which they were charging before COVID. So I think that's one thing which I will actually pay attention to closely as the REITs starts to report some of their quarterly results. All right. Now, um, any stocks currently on your radar you can share with us? <laughs> of course. Of course, Michelle. So one of them, one, one which I like is Digital Call REIT. So it has been beaten down, you know, since it got listed uh, in 2021. And like I mentioned on data centers, what I like about Digital Call REIT is, you know, they don't have a immediate refinancing for this year and at least um, till next year. So this means if interest rates continue to go up, you know, they do not have to actually pay high interest costs because all their current debt are already well protected, meaning that they are close to fully hedged. So if even if interest rates go up, they are still paying about the same amount of interest cost here. And, you know, um, Digital Core Read is still right smack in that tailwind of growing data here. So that's one thing which I like. And the problem, you know, right now for Digital Core is one of their tenants are in a precarious position. They might face default risk for one of the tenants. Um, but so far, no major news have actually came out from Digital Core Read. So I think that's the good thing. But the other one is that most of their properties are located, well located in the hotspot of technology companies. Silicon Valley is one of them. Uh, you have Los Angeles as well. So even if one of their tenants vacate, they will be able to actually replace these tenants quite comfortably. Oh, fantastic. Thank you for being so generous with us and sharing what's on your radio today, Willie. We really appreciate it. He is the Dividend Titan himself. You can check out more at his blog, Dividend Titan. Um, have I got the address right, the web address? Dividendtitan.com. Yes, Dividendtitan.com. That's it. Willie King, thank you so much this morning. Thank you, Michelle. This is Money and Me. I'm Michelle Martin. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A W E D I O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.